Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, the Word of God says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew in the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up into God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a voice, a loud voice, saying, In heaven now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. And together, therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And let's pray. Lord, Amazing scriptures we read, so much doctrine, so much biblical history and prophecy in these verses. And I pray that you'd give us understanding into them. Pray that you'd teach us your word and then the application of this where we can see that you are victorious, that you always win. And no matter how many times Satan tries to defeat you and attack you, he is the loser and you're the victor. And when we trust you, we can know that we're on the winning side. So I pray that you'd encourage your people today. I pray, dear Spirit of God, that you would minister to each and every heart under the sound of my voice and that you would be honored and glorified. We pray if there's some that need saved, that you'd save them. They'd see their need of you and understand the gospel. Tear those blinders off their eyes so they can see the glorious gospel of Christ. We pray for those of us that are your people. Help us not be weary in well-doing. Help us not get bogged down in the, the craziness and mire of this world, but help us to understand we're on the winning side. And so we thank you for this truth. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts and glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What a powerful portion of Scripture. 
Uh, and the book of Revelation is a little intimidating for some, and it is a, a powerful book. It's a book that must be rightly divided or you get all kinds of crazy false doctrines. On Wednesday nights, we've spent, I think it'll end up being about four years by the time we get done, but we've taken most Wednesday nights for the last uh, three or four years and gone verse by verse through the book of Revelation. We're actually in Revelation 22 right now. It took me six weeks to get through one verse. So every time I think that we're getting close to the end, it's like, well, there's more here. But imagine right now on Wednesday nights, we're studying the last verse or the last chapter in the Bible. You think there might be some things in there that God wants people to know? Absolutely. So it's super important. So some time ago, we went through these verses verse by verse, and I'm not going to do a Bible study with you on these verses. I'm going to show you the overview and the context and use this as a starting place to show you an amazing truth in the Bible. And it's also the title of the sermon, and that is, Our God is Victorious. I mean, our God is victorious. And let me tell you something. He always wins. He's never lost. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a game. He's never lost a round. Uh, it might look like sometimes he's losing. It might look like sometimes, and we get discouraged. It seems like you know, Satan's having his way in this world. But we know the end of the story, and we know that God is victorious. We can also look back at history and see all the times and, and sev- many of the times that God has defeated Satan when he's tried to rise up against him. And then, of course, through prophecy, we can look at the end of the story and see how it all plays out. Uh, Satan has tried many times to defeat our almighty God, but the result is always the same. Our God is victorious. And in today's message, we're going to look at some of the instances where God has defeated Satan. And hopefully that'll build your faith to where in your life, when it looks like you're losing and Satan's winning, it might look like that for the moment. But my friend, you're on the winning side if you're born again. I mean, if you're playing for the right team, if you've got the right jersey on, if you're, if you're cleansed by the blood of Christ, you're going to win. And so uh, we need to walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, we're in a battle for our lives. You know, a lot of Christians seem to forget that, that this life is a spiritual battle. Uh, we have a, an adversary, the devil, who's engaged in a war against God and his people. We're in a battle for our own lives and for the souls of men all around the world. Satan seeks to blind the lost until they die and go to hell. Many of them have, and many more will. Uh, For those who are saved, he's already lost the battle for your soul. He can no longer uh, make you take part in his condemnation. So what he'll try to do is paralyze you and make you ineffective so that you can't help anybody else. And then he wants to strip you of all the glory and honor and dignity and your testimony that God is trying to give you. We look around the world and at times it seems like Satan's winning. You look at politics and foreign policy and culture and even in many churches and it looks like Satan is having his way. But I want to encourage you today, we must not be weary in well-doing. We must not get discouraged We are on the winning side. I love this passage of scripture that we just talked about. It gives some historical information, uh, and I'll just walk you right through it. Uh, This chapter could be called uh, the seven personages, as it is in some study Bibles. There's several different persons or people in chapter 12 and chapter 13, 
that identify and symbolize different things. So first we see the woman. The Bible says that this woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and the, her head a crown of 12 stars. We're not going to go into all that, that typology, but this is Israel. Israel is that woman. Uh, she was the chosen people of God, and, and for all the Old Testament days, God was working through Israel. She was God's representative to the world. One of these days, when the earth's taken back out during the tribulation, she will represent a redeemed Israel will represent God again. Right now, in our day and age, the church is representing God. Uh, then we see in verse 3, uh, the other wonder in heaven, a great red dragon. And we won't go through his typology, but this is the devil. The Bible says very clearly that this is Satan. Satan is pictured as a dragon. And it says in verse 4, his tail drew in the third part of the stars. Those are the one-third of the angels that Satan deceived in heaven uh, to turn against God himself. And you think about the deceptive power of Satan. He got one-third of God's own angels to turn against him. This is how deceptive he is, how manipulative he is. He's very good at deceiving people, and that's his main business yet today. But look at the verse 4. It says, And his tail drew in the third uh, part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered. Why? For to devour her child as soon as it was born. So the woman is pictured here. She's getting ready to have a baby, and that dragon is, is waiting, just crouching, waiting. So as soon as that baby's born, he can kill that baby. Well, what makes this baby so important? Verses 5 and 6 tell us that that baby is the Christ. This is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He was brought forth to rule, look at verse 5, and she brought forth a man-child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That speaks of the millennial kingdom. And then notice there's a, a colon, and then it says, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now see, this is where in the Old Testament and in prophecy, oftentimes there were gaps in the prophecy. Everything in that verse is true, but we see that the church between the birth of the man-child and him ruling all nations was the life of Christ and the church age. So there's a lot of history com compared into that. And then between the time that he was born and her child caught up into heaven, that would be the, the earthly life of Christ. And so there, there's a lot of history in this verse here. Then it talks about the woman fleeing to the mountain. And of course, this is where during the tribulation period, God's going to providentially protect uh, the, the uh, people of Israel. And there's actually, we talked about this on, on Wednesday nights, fascinating. There's actually a city prepared for them right now that could hold thousands of people where we believe they will run to. And uh, you should have been here on Wednesday nights to hear that. But uh, you can start coming this week, amen? A lot of good stuff to come. Uh, and then we see verse 7 and 8, Michael the archangel and the dragon fighting. So there will be a war in heaven. And so uh, after... When the time comes, there's going to be this spiritual battle that takes place. Now, remember that right now, you and I can only see this physical world. There's a lot going on on a plane that you and I can't see. There are angels in this world. You and I can't see them. There are demons in this world. You and I can't see them. God is working uh, in, in and around us. And I could tell you amazing stories where through different acts... And different miracles. I know missionaries that actually they, they were protected. A, a, a tribe, a cannibalistic tribe was coming to eat them. And uh, uh, won't give you the whole story, but, but finally the people stopped in the middle of the night. The tribe stopped. The drums stopped beating and it was quiet until the morning. I mean, they, they were all huddled. They thought they were going to die. 
And the next morning they went and, uh, and talked to the tribe and said, why are we still alive? And, and the, the chief said, where did you get those large men that were standing around your hut? And God pulled back the veil, and sometimes he will allow people to see into that spiritual world. Uh, and the, one of the dangers of drugs and some hallucination drugs and stuff is, is sometimes it will, it will uh, pierce that veil or thin that veil where people see awful and terrible things, and it gives Satan entrance where they see demonic images and, and really disturbing things. And so uh, there's a lot going on around us that we're not aware of. But there is a God, there is a devil, there's Michael and his army, there's Satan and the, the armies of the evil one. Well, one of these days they're going to have a battle, and of course Satan again will lose. And then look here, it says in verse 7, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not. So Satan didn't prevail, neither was, look at the next two words, their place. So T-H-E-I-R is possessive, their place. And it's really interesting uh, theology that we won't get into right now, but, uh, but let me just uh, touch the, the, the tip of the iceberg. The Bible says in the book of Job that Satan still under the authority of God, although he, he has give, been given a leash right now and, and now is, is kind of his time to work, he still has to give an account to God. All the angels of God and Satan himself still have to stand before God occasionally. We don't know how often or the, the circumstances, but they still have to stand before God occasionally and give an answer to God. And that's why in Job he says, good, uh, God says, where have you been? And, uh, you know, that must gall Satan to where he still has to come back and stand before God and give an account because Satan really thinks he's going to win this battle. I mean, he really does. He's, he's, that, he's that demented and twisted by pride where he keeps fighting against God. Let me just stop and say there, there's a lot of people I know that they're fighting losing battles. I mean, they, they, they're fighting against God himself. They're, they're, they're in their rebellion, in their pride. They're going to do it their way. They don't care what anybody says, and nobody's going to stop them. Man, let me tell you, if you're fighting against God, you better stop now. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's awful. It's terrible. And all there is down that road is pain and suffering and destruction. But we see one of these days, there's going to be this battle. It's interesting, the New Testament calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. So Satan right now has access to the air and to the earth. One of these days, the Bible says that in this war, God is going to remove their place in heaven. He's going to restrict Satan to this world. And that's one more defeat. And then eventually we see the, the ultimate defeats of the Lord. And then this wonderful verse here, verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Why? For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. So this is just one more defeat on the way to the ultimate defeat of Satan. Now look, I know that I'm giving you a lot of information right now. You don't have to process all of it, but what I want you to do is understand that Satan is a defeated foe. That our God is victorious over and over and over and over and over in Scripture. God is victorious. He always wins. He will never lose. He cannot lose. Praise God. Our God 
is victorious. Now, I want to give you some instances today. I've got 10 of them. I'll give them to you just as many as I can in the time we have. But I want to give you some instances, and we're going to look at some verses where Satan has already been defeated and God has been victorious. So look at Isaiah chapter 14. Let's use our Bibles quickly. If you're not used to using your Bible, maybe go to your table of contents, put a a track or an envelope in there or a pen or something, and so you can move back and forth between the, the verses here. Isaiah chapter 14, we're going to move really quickly. If I start talking before you're at the Bible, just stop turning pages and look intelligently at your Bible, and no one will know where you are. All right, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, this speaks of Satan. How art there fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Now, Lucifer was the given name, the original given name of Satan. He was a created angel of God. We believe that he was one of God's top angels, and uh, even one of the most beautiful uh, things in all the creation of God. All right, but look at where it says, How art thou cut down to the ground, thou which, which didst weaken the nations? Verse 13, For thou hast said in thy heart. So what, what was Satan's fall? What caused Satan to be cast down from heaven? By the way, Ezekiel also gives some really fascinating information about the biography of uh, uh, Satan. Uh, before he became Satan and the fall of Satan. But here we say, so, so what was the problem? Verse 13, Isaiah 14, 13. For thou hadst said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the transfiguration, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. You have here the five I wills of Satan the first sin ever committed was that of pride. Satan looked at his beauty. He looked at everything God made. He looked at God and he said, I want to be you. And I'm going to be you. And God says, no, you're not. But Satan forgot he was created. You say, well, how could Satan forget he was created? How many people forget they're created? How many people claim that I'm in charge of my life? Are you kidding me? You don't make your heart beat. You don't make your liver work. I mean, this life is so fragile that we could be gone in a moment, in, in a second. Uh, but, but we get so filled with pride. Man, it's about me. I'm in control. I'm going to do what I want to do. We make the same mistake as Satan. We get filled with pride. Look at verse 15. What's the end of this? Yet thou shalt be brought down to what? Hell. To the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? That verse tells us a couple things. First of all, Satan makes the earth to tremble, and he literally shook kingdoms. He affects entire nations. But one of these days when it's all said and done and, and Satan is finally defeated, we're going to look at him in heaven and be like, that's the guy? That's the one that caused so much trouble? Because when you compare him to the Almighty God, he is nothing. And here we have in eternity past, God defeating Satan. The very moment Satan rose up, our God is victorious. Let me show you a second time. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Is this interesting to you? Fascinating. 
The Bible's fascinating. It's a living book. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, we see that God defeated Satan in Eden. Satan knew that God loved man, and Satan couldn't hurt God, so Satan attacks what God loves. All right, Genesis 1. And now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And don't forget, the serpent in this moment is not like a snake like we would see. This was a beautiful creature. Back then, too, animals could talk. That's pretty cool. Uh, we have no idea what all was lost when man sinned. It wasn't just thorns and sickness and, and all of that. There was so much of God's creation that suffered. That's why Romans chapter 8 says that the earth itself groans for redemption. Creation itself is suffering because of being infected by sin. So this is a beautiful creature comes and talks. Satan had possessed this creature and come to Eve in this form. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden. So Satan still attacks this way. He questions God's word. He contradicts God's word. And he counterfeits God's word. It's always the same. Uh, verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which thou is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now wait a minute, that's not true. God said don't eat it or you'll die. He never said don't touch it. This is why we've got to be careful not to add or subtract from God's word. Right? We love the Bible here. We believe in the old King James. I mean, it's just, it's right. It's, it's been right for hundreds of years. It hasn't changed. Uh, a lot of these other versions are, are unproven. They're, they're, a lot of it is marketing. A lot of it is trying to make more money. Every version has to be 30% different from the next so that it can be copyrighted and make, make publishers money. I just don't want to play any of that game. I don't want to play any of it. Uh, I like my old Bible. And if, if you learn a few words and some these and thous, uh, you're going to be fine. And uh, this, this book uh, is just a powerful, amazing book. But we've got to be careful not to mess with it because Eve got it wrong and Satan knew it and he attacked her at that point. Uh, verse 4, And Satan said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Why? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I said this in Sunday school, but Satan's always trying to make God the villain. See what he said here? God's hiding this from you. God knows. He's, he's not letting you eat the tree because he knows that as soon as you eat that tree, you become a god yourself. Isn't that the message of humanism today? We are, we are gods. I'm, I'm a god myself. I don't need to submit to another god. So look at verse 5. Uh, verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, not in a good way. They were open to sin, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Why? Because now they were in sin. And you see this story. God comes to them and says, Adam, why did you sin? He said, well, the woman. God goes to the woman and says, Eve, why did you sin? And he points to the serpent. And then finally the serpent is, uh, look here in verse uh, 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did 
eat. Verse 14, the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and the dust thou shalt eat all the days of life. So this is when a snake like we know it became the snake or the serpent. Verse 5, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise heel. Now look at me. I know we're, we're, we're looking at a lot of Bible today, but this is important. God pronounced judgment on the serpent for being used of Satan, and God pronounced judgment on Satan. He said, first of all, women and snakes aren't going to get along from now on. How many of you ladies like snakes? Few of you do. I saw uh, my wife was watching one of those zoo shows, you know, where they follow along at the zoo, and, uh, and this woman had like this 18-foot python wrapped around her. I was like, that's a woman now. Goodness. And, I mean, the thing was, like, wrapped around, and she's holding it, she's smiling. I'd be like, I'm like, no. Uh, but most people are, aren't uh, fond of snakes. Uh, God has put enmity. It's a natural thing for a woman to be scared of snakes. Why? That was part of the punishment. But then he also pronounced a spiritual punishment, and that is thy seed, the serpent's seed, and the woman's seed. And this is the first mention we have in the scriptures of the Messiah that would come and destroy the serpent. So we find in eternity past, God, uh, God is in heaven ruling. Satan says, I want to be like you. God says, no, you're defeated. In Eden, they come and said, okay, God, I can't hurt you, but you love these people, so I'm going to hurt you by hurting these people. And God comes along and says, no, you're defeated. He's defeated once again. He also defeats Satan by re redeeming mankind. You see, Satan knew that if he got Adam and Eve to sin like he did, then the punishment that was pronounced upon him would be passed to them. And that punishment is death and hell. Matthew 25, 41 says this, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so hell was actually never meant for mankind. It was meant for Satan. But when Satan got man to sin like he did, the judgment that God had placed upon sin now transferred to mankind. And Satan says, aha, well, now I'm going to hell, but at least I'm taking your loved ones with me. And God says, no, you're still going to lose. And we find in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And this was the first sacrificial uh, uh, sacrifice that would cover the uh, sin of mankind, and this pictures the redemption that would be in Jesus Christ, that as we trust Jesus, we are cleansed by him and given robes of righteousness. If you're a Christian this morning, when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you as a dirty sinner. He looks at you as his child. And so even though Satan thought, aha, I will at least take your loved ones to where I'm going. God says, no, you're defeated once again. Listen to this beautiful verse, Romans 3.24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word redemption is important. It speaks of God had to buy back humanity. He, he redeemed them. He purchased them back from that penalty of sin through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption, how? Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, I want you to look at me. If you're here this morning and you're not sure you're going to heaven, uh, I, I, I'm sorry to tell you that being a good person isn't going to cut it. 
being in church here this morning isn't going to cut it. Uh, giving money to the church isn't enough to get you to heaven. You know, trying real hard isn't enough. Good intentions aren't enough. We, as humanity, we have been tainted by sin, corrupted by sin, and the penalty of sin is upon us. But God, in His great mercy and, and His love for us, He made a way for us to be brought back and bought back from the penalty of sin, which is death and hell for eternity, where you and I can go to heaven forever if we simply trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, was buried and rose again. And if you're willing to put your faith in that, then God says, that is sufficient payment. My son's sacrifice is sufficient payment for your sin. I bring, I buy you back from hell, and now you're a part of my family. Satan once again loses. He loses in eternity past. He loses in the garden. He loses over heaven and hell. God always wins. We can move on. We see that Satan tried to defeat God in attacking Israel. Satan knew that Israel uh, was God's representatives to the world. Satan also knew that the Messiah was going to come through Israel. Right? Jesus is a Jew. I heard someone talking recently, some, somebody that, that doesn't know much about religion at all, saying that Jesus was a Palestinian. You know, I've heard people say, well, Jesus was a black person. I've heard people say Jesus was a Mexican. Jesus was a Puerto Rican. Jesus was a... I mean, there's all, everybody wants to claim Jesus. By the way, he wasn't American either. He was a Jew. And the promise was that he would come through that lineage, through Judah, and that he would be born of a virgin of Jewish descent. Why? They were the people of God. Now, wait, Satan knew that if he could destroy Israel that the Messiah would never come. That's why in the Old Testament you see Israel attacked so much. They, they were always attacked. They were always, uh, you know, the, the Ammonites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and all the ites in the Bible. And we see the Philistines and the, the Moabites and all of those. They were always attacking uh, Israel, but Israel had divine protection from God. By the way, uh, it is a miracle of God that that little country exists on the planet today. And in 1947, the fact that that was made a country again was actually a fulfillment of prophecy. People don't know history anymore. In 1967, they had the Six-Day War where all of the Arab countries around Israel tried to wipe them off the face of the map. And within six days, that little country of Israel had all of their neighbors on their knees. History tells us that all of a sudden tanks stopped working. Planes were falling out of the sky as if a big hand swatted them out of the sky when they were attacking Israel. This is recorded history. There has always been divine protection for those people of God. However, Satan figured out quickly that he could not defeat them through power. But what if he could corrupt Israel to the place where God would destroy them himself? And this is where you see in the, the Old Testament they begin to be infiltrated by false idols and idol worship. Matter of fact, we won't take time to look at it. Exodus chapter 32, God was so frustrated with Israel that he said, fine, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out and I'm going to start over with you. And Moses prayed, no, Lord, because you made promises 
and the Egyptians will see, and that they're, the Egyptians will think that you didn't do it, that, that, that they were defeated. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll, I will keep things the way they are. We see uh, the, the story in Numbers 22 through 24. Balak, the king of Moab, calls this prophet named Balaam, and he tries to get Balaam to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel, but God wouldn't allow the curse to come out of Balaam's mouth. Why? They're divinely protected. But wait, Balaam taught King Balak something that has harassed God's people every moment since. Look at Revelation chapter 2. I don't know if you're having fun, but I am. This is a, I know we're covering a lot of ground today, but it's, it's important stuff, and you can listen to the sermon later and, and process all of it. But it's so vital that we understand our God is victorious. God wouldn't allow Balaam to curse Israel, but he taught the wicked king how to defeat Israel. Look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now what is that doctrine? Who taught Balak, that's the king, Numbers 22 through 24, to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. How? To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So I want you to look at me. Satan figured out, I can't destroy Israel outwardly because they're protected by God. But if we can corrupt them from the inside, then a holy God will have to judge them himself. And the way he did that is through false worship, worship of false gods, particularly here mentioned, eating things sacrificed to idols, and to commit fornication. This is immorality. And still today, our churches in America and across the world today are infected with false doctrine and the mixing of the worship of God with idols and immorality that's accepted as if it's nothing. And it's a stumbling block. Just like our church today, we've talked about this often, no church can can be murdered. A church cannot be destroyed by the outside, but a church can commit suicide. Any, Any true church of God that's ever stopped being, it was killed from the inside out, not the outside in. The truth is, when you study the scripture, when when the devil persecutes the church, the church grows. It might go underground. They might have to stop meeting in buildings like this and meet in houses and fields and those types of things. But the church grows when it's persecuted. But what if the church is corrupted? And so Satan says, aha, I've won. I will destroy Israel and then the Messiah won't come. And, And God says, no, I will always reserve myself a remnant. I win. And even today, the book of Romans says that no matter how much apostasy and craziness is out there, there will always be a remnant of God worshiping God the way he chooses because he protects a remnant. And I believe Curtis Corner Baptist Church and churches like this, we are part of the remnant that is trying to keep clean and pure the original way that God told us to worship him. Once again, God wins. Isn't that good news? Uh, we, we learned in Revelation chapter 4 that Satan tried to stop the plan of God by killing Christ as soon as he was born. Look at Matthew chapter 2. We see after the birth of Christ and the wise men come and all of that, Herod wanted the wise men to go learn where Jesus was and then come back and tell him where the Christ child was because Herod wanted to kill the Christ child. He didn't want a king to be in opposition. And by the way, power and authority has always been threatened by the great power and the great authority. 
That's why governments tend to go towards uh, socialism, communism, atheism, because if there's no God, then you begin to rely on government as a God. Government gives rights. Government decides the rules. But in a Christian nation, a Christian nation understands, no, God gives rights. God draws the rules, and government is supposed to help in its way, a limited way, within the sphere of what God's already laid out. But Herod here was intimidated by the power of this new baby king. And so then look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, why why was he mocked of the wise men? Because God told the wise men, said, hey, don't go back to Herod, just go on back home. Uh, And God's got a way of working everything out, doesn't he? And so when he saw that he was walked of the wise men, he was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now, wait a minute. You've got to understand the, the, the scope of this. This man was so crazed and worried about this baby being born that not just in a city but in an entire region, he killed every child from two years of age and under trying to get the Christ child killed. Now, I submit to you that this wasn't just Herod being insane, although he was insane. This was a satanic-inspired attempt. This is the dragon waiting, trying to get that baby as soon as he was born. But God in his providence had them leave the area for a while and come back after this Herod was dead. God always wins. God is victorious. And so we see over and over again. Look at Matthew chapter 4. We see Satan, okay? Now he he tries to win again. Now the Messiah is born. The baby is here. The the Savior of the, the world is living on earth. What is Satan going to do? He's still trying to stop the plan of God. So he says, okay, we're going to have a one-on-one showdown, the Son of God in the flesh versus Satan. And Satan says, if I can get him to sin, then he can no longer die for the everybody else. God's gospel plan will be destroyed. Look at Matthew chapter 4. We see the temptation of Christ Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, wait a minute. I like this. God says, Satan, I'm not scared of you. It's part of my plan that that Christ withstand your temptation. See, God meets Satan head on because there's no fear. And I want you and I, we've got to understand, we don't have to go through this life in fear, worrying about, oh, no, what's the devil going to do? Oh, no, what's, what's going on in this world? You can live in this life with confidence and faith. I don't know what's going on around the world today, but I know that I'm going to be okay, and my family's going to be okay. We're going to do what we did last week. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God, do right today, find somebody to serve. We're going to do the same thing tomorrow. But what if we die? If we die, I go to heaven. God still wins. We see the temptation of Christ, and we won't look at all of this. You can read it later, but three times Satan tried to tempt him, and Christ defeats Satan with the word of God. We see the sixth time the devil tried to defeat the plan of Christ, and that was in the rejection of the Messiah. See, Jesus came to the Jews first. John chapter 1 says he came into his own, and his own received him not. And I think that Satan thought, if I can get God's people to reject the Christ, then God's plan stops. 
And I've got the verses here. We won't look at them. But Matthew 27, 23 through 25, Pilate says, I'm going to release him to you. And they're like, no, give us Barabbas. And then like, what do I do with Christ? He's innocent. What do I do with him? And the crowd cries, crucify him, crucify him. And then Pilate said, I don't want this blood to be on me. So he washes his hands. And verse 25, the Jews answer, his blood be on us and on our children. And I think at that moment, Satan goes, aha, God's people rejected the Messiah. It's over. It's done. But wait, the Bible says there was a mystery that was unknown by others. The Old Testament prophets didn't see it. I don't think the devil saw it. And that was the mystery of the church. Ephesians 5.32 says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, the Old Testament prophets, they could see the mountaintops of prophecy. They could see the Messiah coming. They could see the millennial reign. They could see all of that, but they didn't see the church age. They didn't see the, the death and burial of Christ, and God had to reveal all that as it came along. This was a mystery. Romans chapter 11 talks about how God grafted in the church, and we spoke about that recently. But here's what I'm saying. Satan thought that when, when God's people, the Jews, rejected Christ, it was over. But the Bible says in John chapter 1, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But wait a minute. I love it. Wait a minute. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that... that... Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that in the plan of God, he says, Satan, at every turn, I've outthought you at every turn. I'm ahead of you. And just because the Jews rejected him, I've got a whole nother crowd of people that's going to accept him happily. And you and I are part of that crowd. How many of you here today say Jesus is my Lord? Jesus is my Savior. I accept Christ as my Savior. And we go out and we tell people about Jesus and and they accept Christ as their Savior and they start coming to church. God always wins. Our God is victorious. Isn't that good? We see in the death of Christ, I thought, I think Satan thought he had won until up from the grave he rose. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 talks about how Christ defeated death and he defeated Satan in the resurrection. What next? Satan says, wow, now we got all these church people, so I'm going to try to destroy the church. And we see Satan tried to win in church persecution. The Romans persecuted the Christians. I mean, they literally fed them to lions. Uh, one, one emperor, Nero, he, w- he hated Christians so much that he would literally kill them, soak their bodies in oil, hang them, stick them on a pike, and light them on fire at night as he walked through his garden to the light of burning Christians. You say, preacher, that's gross. That's nothing compared to what they did to Christians. And I think Satan said, you got this church thing, God? I'm going to destroy your church. But I'm glad that Jesus told us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Satan can't destroy the church. We see the dark ages and the inquisition that other denominations and the Catholics and the Protestants and the Lutherans and the Episcopalians, they persecuted the church and people like the Baptist and Anabaptist. Millions were killed. Tens of millions were killed as Satan said, we're going to stamp out this thing called Christianity. Socialism and communism has been an enemy of Christianity. And let me just say, don't fall for this new uptick in socialism. Socialism is just communism light. Communism is the enemy of God. Look at every communist country that's ever existed on the face of the planet. One of the first things they have to do is get people to accept atheism. 
When the communists took over China, they kicked out every missionary and they killed tons of Christians. Why? Because Christians don't fall for the lies. We look to God as our provider, not to the government. The most dangerous place in the world for a Christian today is North Korea. Communist country. Satan says, I'm going to try to destroy that church. And God says, no, you lose. We see wars, false doctrines, atheism, false science, comfort and peace. This is really interesting where Satan said, okay, I can't destroy you. So what if I make you comfortable? Daniel 8 verses 23 through 25 warn us that one of these days the Antichrist is going to come. Long before he's the tyrannical despot that kills a bunch of people, he's going to make people comfortable and promise peace. And I think this is what we're facing in America today. The church is being lulled to sleep by prosperity and by peace. Through it all, our God is victorious. Let me show you one more portion of Scripture. Revelation 19. Going just a few minutes longer today, but I hope this is a blessing to you. We doing okay? Revelation 19. Oh, I love it. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. If I'm ever having a bad day or I get really beat down, I start to get a little depressed. And by the way, preachers can feel that way too, right? We get discouraged, get depressed, overwhelmed. It seems like nothing's working out. You begin to wonder, how much can a person take? I mean, this is, this is crazy. Uh, this is one of the portions of Scripture I go to because it, it reminds us. It's like turning to the last couple pages of a book and finding out the ending. My wife would always do that. Before she got sick, she was a voracious reader. And, and if there was ever just a, if it ever got too tense or she got a little worried, it had a little bit too much conflict in it. And for her, that would be like, you know, a dog's in trouble or something. I mean, she's so sweet. If, if it ever got just a little bit too tense, she would skip to the end of the book, read the last page, and then she's like, oh, okay, now I can finish. And to me, that ruins the whole book. I don't even want to read it now. But some people, you know, when they get stressed out, it's just like, okay, if I just know how it ends, everything's going to be okay. And this is what you can do in your own life. This is the battle of Armageddon, the great battle. I want to show you how it ends. Revelation 19, verse 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true has jesus been faithful to you let me tell you something jesus never fails i've failed him a thousand times ten thousand times ten thousand times but he's never failed me once he's never lied to me he is true and in righteousness, he does judge and make war. His eyes, verse 12, his eyes was a flame of fire. That speaks of perfect judgment. His head were of many crowns. That speaks of authority. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Verse 13, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. This is the living word of God, Jesus in the flesh and his glorified body. He's in a vesture dipped with blood. I believe some people believe that's his blood. Some people believe it was the blood of the martyrs. I believe it may have been both, but I think his, he, his blood is what won the victory, and he's wearing the very thing that brought victory over our greatest enemy, and that is death and hell and the grave. 
Verse 14, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I think that we as God's people, the saved in heaven at that time, we're going to be part of that army. We're going to be following Christ. Verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. That's the word of God. That with it he should rule with them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. I love it when God does all caps. Amen. King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to the fowls in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves unto the supper of the great God. Verse 19, And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. See the folly? Satan still, after a lifetime, an eternity, from the moment that he, he sinned until this moment, he still thinks, disillusioned by pride, insane with pride and vanity, he still thinks that he can defeat God. Oh, but look what happens. Verse 20, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that brought miracles before him, which deceived him that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These were cast alive into the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And I want you to see this. In this moment, Jesus is, is on this a horse suspended between heaven and earth were with him, the, thr- the throngs of God. The armies of the earth that had survived the terrible tribulation period, they gather. God literally dries up rivers and allows them supernaturally to come together to this moment. The, the armies of all the earth in rebellion against God and Jesus on his white horse and Satan leading the army and he actually thinks they're going to win. But God is so much greater. God is so powerful that all he does is speak the word and they're defeated. Our God is victorious, friend. You say, what happens to our enemy, the devil? Look at verse, chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. I want you to look at me. So what happens is after this great battle, Jesus wins without breaking a sweat. He just speaks. God takes Satan, puts him in the bottomless pit, seals him for a thousand years. That thousand years is called the millennial reign of Christ. It's a thousand year period where Jesus rules and reigns on earth. We as his people will rule and reign with him according to how we served him here. Then there's one final battle. After that thousand years, God's going to let Satan loose. Somehow, even after being ruled by Satan or ruled by Jesus, all that time there's going to be lost people that still refuse to accept Jesus as the Messiah, as he's ruling. Imagine the crazy pride of man. Jesus lets Satan out. He gathers everybody on earth together one last time. We call it the final battle, but it's really not much of a battle at all. Verse 7, and when... The thousand years are expired. Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them together to the battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So this is billions of people. Verse 9. 
of countless people. Verse 9, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city. And, and watch this. Remember the, the battle of Armageddon, pomp, circumstance, Jesus coming down, he's clothed, he's on his horse, we're all with him. That was the moment where God says, this is the big battle, speaks the word, it's over. In this battle, there's no pomp, there's no circumstance, there's no battle, there's no gathering, it's just done. Because God says, I'm done once and for all. And one thing we talked about in the book of Revelation is when you look at the destruction in Revelation, don't forget that this is no less and no more than a sinful world has asked for. God has saved everybody that wants to be saved. He's gotten the gospel to everybody that wants it. These are the people that said, I hate you. I will destroy you. And God says, I'm victorious. Look at how this, all the Bible says about this last battle. Let's look at the last phrase of verse 9. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. You think God broke a sweat? You think God was worried? Folks, I, I took a little extra time this morning just to tell you, I want you to look at me, and this is so important. I know you get discouraged. I know you get weary in well-doing. I know it feels like we're losing sometimes. I know it feels like that Satan is just winning, and he's got so many people going to his side, and, and American culture seems to be turning more and more godless and the craziness of this world. And sometimes if all we do is look by sight, we say, Lord, this place is a mess. Are, are we winning? Are you okay? I mean, we can get all of those thoughts, but let me tell you something. I never want you to forget this thought. I never want you to forget this message. By the, by the power of Jesus Christ and, and the Holy Spirit that lives within you, never, never forget our God is victorious. He always wins. And if you're on His side, what does that mean? You win. We win. We're on the winning side. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray that you'd help us as we looked at a lot of verses today and, and asked that you would give us insight. Pray that you would speak to hearts, save those that need saving, encourage those that need encouraged. Help us to just personally walk the path that you have for us. Heads about, eyes are closed. In just a moment, the piano, we're going to stand. The piano is going to play. The altar will be open. I wonder if the Lord spoke to your heart. If you're not sure you're saved, we